0: Hello, everyone, and welcome to Health Law Talk presented by Shahardi Sherman-Williams. Before we get started, please be sure to subscribe to our podcast and follow us on Facebook, Twitter, LinkedIn, and YouTube, linked in the description below. We hope you enjoy this episode.
1: Good day, everybody. Uh, This is uh, Conrad Meyer here in the studio today with Rory Bellina and Chris Martin for another episode of Health Law Talk. Uh, Good morning, guys. How y'all doing? Morning, Chris. Good morning. All right. So today, again, a very interesting topic today. We're looking at the uh, the vaccine mandates, COVID vaccine mandates. Uh, Lots of confusion, honestly, uh, from clients, from people we're talking to in terms of uh, what's out there, what mandates are out there, uh, do, you know, the, the federal mandate, the OSHA private mandate. Now we have this uh, CMS mandate We're hopefully all of us are going to clear that up yep. today. What do you all think about that, guys?
0: Yeah, like, like Conrad mentioned, last week's episode was on the private employer mandate. That was kind of part one of this three-part series. Today is going to be on the CMS, we'll call it the CMS healthcare mm-hmm. worker mandate just for for this discussion and then we'll wrap this up with the um, with the federal employees but before we jump into today's topic part two the cms cms healthcare mandate Mm -hmm. um chris is going to give us a little bit of update it's only been a week since we recorded our last one on the private employer but the courts have been blowing and going on this already in a week chris so chris what's going on since our last one on the on the private employer and just to recap that is a hundred or more employees and we went into detail in last week's podcast so please listen to that but Give us a, a brief snippet. If someone didn't listen to last week's, what's the private employer and what's been going on in the courts in the yeah, past week? Where are we
2: now? So last week, we, the Fifth Circuit Federal Court of Appeals had granted a temporary restraining order, three-judge panel, and then briefs were due to have to determine whether their permanent injunction should be uh, implemented. And uh, we got an opinion just the other day from Judge Englehart Um, former district court judge in the eastern district and he wrote a pretty scathing 15 or so page opinion no 20 page opinion um, upholding the restraining order and entering a permanent injunction and at the last line of the of the order i'll just read it it is further ordered that osha take no steps to implement or enforce the mandate until further court order
0: And this one is private employer. So we're not talking about healthcare workers. We're talking about the one that we did our episode last week, a hundred or more employees. And we went through the tests and that's the one where if you weren't vaccinated, you would have to wear, you'd have to get weekly testing. You'd have to wear a mask. That one is the one where you'd have to track it, you know, $13,000. I believe it was per violation per person. Um, So that has been stayed. And then, Correct me if I'm wrong. That is now that there was a lottery
2: system, and the Sixth Circuit is going to hear this one. Yes, the Sixth Circuit Court of Appeals in Cincinnati, Ohio, will now hear the next step in this process. Um, I think every single federal appeals court had suits pending. They do a lottery system where they literally pick one of the pick a ball out of a um, a basket, and the Sixth Circuit was picked. Um, interestingly, the Sixth Circuit from what I understand is one of the more conservative uh, Republican uh, judge courts of appeals. So mm-hmm. it'll be interesting to see what they do.
0: And if they uphold the Fifth Circuit, then do you predict that this will that the government will step in and, and challenge us to the Supreme
2: Court? I think so. I think we're headed to the U.S. Supreme Court on the OSHA private employer mandate yeah, no, no doubt this is going all the way up
0: so that's a really great recap of last week's episode and where that stand and before we get into the details of today's cms one where does this one stand in the courts because i know that there's i believe there's a numerous amount of states that are challenging this one
2: well yes and it has some louisiana flavor to it because just uh, recently day before or yesterday or the day before uh, 12 states uh, ten states ten southern states ten Republican states filed suit in federal court in the western District of Louisiana in Monroe and our own uh, attorney General Jeff Landry is going to be leading the lawsuit um, to to have that mandate stayed and eventually hopefully overturned this is the CMS mandate this is the CMS mandate that they feel is a uh, Extent, ex- exceed CMS's authority and as they're seeking court intervention to halt it or overturn it.
0: So as of right now, the CMS one is still active per se, but we expect th- these legal challenges going on. So I think let's jump right in and, and let's presume like we did for last week's episode that the that this one will be in effect. Um, so, But we want to give our listeners kind of a summary of what's going on because this, this affects the vast majority of of healthcare providers. So Conrad, you want to kind of kick it off and, and give us a little bit of you know flavor on what what this is trying to accomplish and um and, and just jump right in. So
1: so basically uh, the CMS mandate requires that uh various healthcare workers, extenders, contractors who provide you know services in a healthcare setting and and when we say healthcare setting i mean uh there's a laundry list of of different settings that cms has listed that it that it will cover uh must have the first dose of the two-dose fda approved or a single dose fda approved vaccine by december the 5th of of this year and they uh all they must be fully vaccinated by january 4th of 2022 so uh and if they're not in compliance the facility itself is looking at uh, potential uh, civil monetary penalties, uh, possible exclusion from Medicare and Medicaid, um, and they're going to be doing this through state surveys. So they're going to use the local state, like Louisiana Department of Health, to help and assist with the surveys of the various facilities to, sh- to ensure compliance.
0: And you mentioned something important that I just wanted to highlight on. You said fully vaccinated by January 4th. I know there was some, mm-hmm. there's some confusion on what that means. Does that mean that you received the shot by that date or is it t- two weeks? I believe the the policy is that you're not fully vaccinated until weeks after that last shot and cms clarified that didn't they and they say that as long as you have received because the the times didn't work out from when the policy started in it so as just for our listeners to be clear as long as your workers have received the second or the first if it's johnson and johnson by january 4th that's considered in compliance
1: right because you need you had that two-week wait post shot for the efficacy to build up and so the 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 timeline on the original rule didn't work out so they needed some clarification on that so you're correct
2: one one minor point because i think when cms drafted this rule somebody didn't look at the calendar because december the 5th is actually a sunday oh geez so okay. that that same guidance said no we're gonna do it it's now actually december on the, mon- the 6th on the monday yeah.
0: gotcha so who does this apply to that, let's start with that just how we did our last episode who does this supply to and we'll we'll walk through all the details you want me to do that? I'll yeah.
2: So um, you know, CMS is doing this under their under their power to set conditions of participation, which has very broad powers. Um, well, with walk, sp-
1: walk people through what that
2: means because a lot of people does not do not understand what conditions of participation is. So g- give give the listeners some idea what that means. So, in other words, to part, to be eligible to bill and collect from Medicare and Medicaid hospitals, uh, ambulatory surgery centers. And very uh, fifteen or twenty other types of providers right. have to meet certain conditions in order to be eligible and and accepted by Medicare and Medicaid to to bill them and then to collect. So it's we're talking about billions and billions of dollars a year to if you're if you're um, participating in Medicare and Medicaid. Right. So it's a it's it's a big financial deal, right?
0: So some of the some of the list of you know you mentioned if you if you are um, enrolled in Medicare and, and part of the conditions of participation is that this applies. So let's talk about covered facilities and some that aren't covered. I think that's important because I think the the goal of this, similar to the private employer mandate of a hundred and more, is that CMS wanted to capture. As many facilities as they could So Connor do you want to kind of explain to our listeners Who these covered facilities are And maybe who they're not Yeah sure so
1: Rory uh, you're looking at uh, Again this is such a broad brush You're looking at the shotgun approach Or as the 5th Circuit would term Chris The sledgehammer approach right Right. So uh, ambulatory surgery centers Hospitals, hospices uh, The psychiatric resident uh, treatment facilities LTCs, long term care facilities um, Immediate care facilities Home health Uh, community mental health centers, outpatient rehab, uh, any clinic, any rehab, uh, home infusion, uh, RHCs or rural health clinics, FQHCs, federal uh, qualified health care centers, health centers, and ESRD or end-stage renal disease facilities. So, I mean, a broad, huge brush here from CMS.
0: And when I look at this list, I try to figure out, okay, what were they trying to accomplish? To me, it looks like they're trying to capture – facilities where there's a lot of interaction between providers and patients is that what you think the intent
2: was here chris that's right that's right so any staff member of any of these listed entities that conrad just um, enumerated any staff member on site no matter what their job is um, if, if if they provide patient care or treatment or come into contact with somebody who does they're covered. So imagine, well, imagine who that is, though. Imagine, I mean, when you when you think about the hospital, because I know you've
1: walked the floors many times, and I have, and I, we all we all walk in a facility. That's environmental, dietary, food, the the, the food. Right. Uh, the uh, what about the lady in the bookstore? You know, I mean, the gift shop. So you know, what about the parking attendant who's who basically gets, takes the money from someone parking in the parking lot? Well, those those people interact with patients all day long. So i mean when you when you start really thinking about it chris i mean it it covers a lot
2: it is
0: very broad and the rule specifically stated it implies to employees licensed practitioners trainees students volunteers and a big one on this one is contractors who provide care treatment other services and who have contact with other individuals who are also covered so i think that's um that's that's very interesting you know they went into the notes and comments and said some of the vendors that come in that maybe do you know periodic service or, or you know that kind of thing at the, at the facilities don't it won't fall into this but the big goal that CMS looked at for this is how often you're entering the facility contact with other individuals safety measures and use of the shared commonery. So I think this captures a lot of people. You know, one thing that I thought was very interesting that it didn't, and I'd love to hear Conrad, and your thoughts is that this doesn't apply to physician offices.
1: Well, uh, well, that and, and I was as you were reading that list, I was I'll touch that, but I was thinking about materials management. You know, I mean, those guys just literally drop off truckloads of, of supplies in the back. Are they going to get hit? you know, our, the, the trucking guys. So, mm-hmm. uh, but as as you're correct to your point, Rory, on, on the physician side, no, nothing. Uh, it, it, I think when you talking about MOB, uh, you know,
0: physicians in that, I mean, I think you, you get, they're going to get hit too. Yeah. Because it says that in the guidance that it will provide to, it will apply to people that are provider based, like outpatient departments and PT speech you know, OT. So, all,
1: remember, so remember how a long time ago we, we were—they were all doing this, this this new deal on outpatient or on the hospital-based right to reach out to the broad swath to capture that that type of, of revenue stream. Well, now all that work and all those outreaches to cap now all those hospital-based type practices are now going to be in this path.
0: And 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 Chris, I think one thing that's important to note is that if you're if you're a physician office, let's say you're you're a pediatrician, right? Okay? Um, you've got your, your, your solo practice or your group practice, um, you don't fall under this. But if you've got privileges and you you know go do well visits on newborns or something like that, then you could fall under it under the hospital where you've got
2: privileges, right? That's right. That's right. Because if you, to have medical staff privileges at a hospital, mm-hmm. you're going to be covered under this mandate. So I'm trying to think of people that
0: aren't included in this and it, it it's very limited it, it you know it would be it would be physicians that don't have privileges that are strictly in their office but I mean, if they've got privileges to do surgery somewhere Conrad they're included i mean it's well there it's isn't an be hard
1: there, there isn't out though because i mean if you re if you read the rules in the FAq it, it, it was that like anyone he anyone who doesn't do was it individuals who infrequently provide ad hoc care a non health care service excuse me non health care what is that? Right. And, 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 and that's the gray
2: area, right? And how do we define that? Of course it's not defined. I mean, how are we going to define that? Sure. sure. And it does, you know, telehealth's been a real hot topic during COVID. And right. It does carve out if you're doing purely 100% telehealth or telemedicine, which is, you know, you're talking to a patient remotely. Right. Then you can be excluded from this. Well, that makes sense. I mean, I, I, I could see that point.
1: Uh, but then this whole gray area of infrequent non-healthcare-related interaction. Sure. What is that?
0: So we're basically we're saying, you know, in a traditional hospital, it's pretty much everyone there, oh, My, yeah. minus a few yeah. provider-based. There's some exclusions, but if you're on a medical staff, it could be that. So it seems the goal is to capture as many people as possible. I'm going to go back to our private employer one where we had some exemptions. What are the exemptions here?
1: Well, I mean, back back to the same thing with the private. You're going to have medical exemptions and religious exemptions, and and and, I, and, and we've gotten calls. I mean, you you and I have talked about this, Rory, in yes. a previous episode. We're getting calls from medical providers who have legitimate, in our eyes, medical exemptions from provide treating physicians who say, "Oh, you have a clotting disorder. I'm not recommending you get this vaccine. Oh, you had COVID before. You've had a positive antibody test. I'm not recommending you get the vaccine." And so I, I don't, you know, I don't know. There's been a lot of discussion about how that is presented, how that is reviewed and by who. And is there some sort of an appeal process
0: if you don't like the decision? And Chris, I know you looked into this as well because you've had some questions about it. If a, let's use the example of a nurse, if a nurse believes that they have a medical exemption, you know, what's the process that they have to go through?
2: So interestingly, the CMS mandate goes into some detail about how you, the form and the requirements and the hoops that the employee has to jump through to eat, to, to even make the request. Mm-hmm. So they have to basically get the proverbial note from the doctor. They have to, and the doctor has some very specific requirements. The doctor has to identify the, vac, the particular vaccine that's at issue, whether it's Pfizer, Moderna or Johnson and Johnson. They then have to specifically say what's the medical contraindication for that particular vaccine and 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 write out a written statement, an opinion as to why this particular employee should be exempted from the requirements based on recognized clinical contraindications. So it's it's not simply fill out a form, say I'm I'm allergic to blank. Right. Here's my medical exemption. The employee has to has to interact with his his or her provider who is qualified in that area. And if it's a physician who's who's submitting the exemption, he can't he or she can't be the qualified provider. They have to use somebody else. Okay,
1: so let me just I got to ask this question, guys. Okay, I just I'm sorry, I got to ask it. How much do you guys think politics are going to play in for the, for the physicians or providers who are writing these medical exemptions for their provider patients, if you will, if those physicians also have privileges at the facility seek, that their patients are seeking exemption from, what do you think you, do you honestly believe that this is going to be a transparent process, or do you think there will be some pushback?
0: you know my concern and for one i 've already heard, and we had a, we had a client contact right. us yesterday about this is what's gonna happen if your your best scrub tech or your best nurse um, says look I, I need a medical exemption or I'm walking out you know and 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 they go to they well, go that's, to, actually,
1: that's not that's not an if that's actually happening
0: uh, sure sure so you know does the doctor provide it I mean it has to be very objective criteria that Chris just discussed but I think that is going to be a a concern and you know there's there's going to be some there's going to be some but what loss. about no,
1: no, well, what, what, what I'm talking about is is there's some panel mm. of individuals or an individual who is going to be receiving these requests and, and as outlined in the in the CMS thing that you you're going to have to track compliance with this anyway so my question is is let's just say that I'm the provider writing the exemption for other providers yet I am submitting these exemptions to a hospital within which I also have privileges And let's say that there's some people in that hospital that have very strong beliefs, because we've seen this before, very strong beliefs on on pro-vaccine and anti-vaccine, right? Is there going to be politics played against me as the physician? Am I going to get a call from the administrator or the board or someone else saying, why are you writing all these medical exemptions? Do you think that is going to play into this, or do you think it's just going to be very transparent?
2: I mean, I, this is just personal opinion. I'm just I, asking I, you guys. I, well, it's supposed to be transparent, of course. I mean, I that's, that's the I rule. Think, I think, I think it's going to vary from facility to facility. Agree with uh, you there. Yeah. And one of the one of the practical takeaways from from this uh, uh, vaccine mandate is the recommendation that you use the same person or the same panel to make these decisions so that they're at least consistent great so so you don't um well that's that's another thing though
1: is there some compliance and i didn't see it maybe you guys did if y'all seen anything is there something that requires a panel or is it left up to the facilities is there an appeal because so it's facility specific my understanding
2: yeah it there is they don't they don't talk about who has to be on the panel or how the decision is made but they do say it has to be a legitimate, consistent process right. and it has to it has to withhold scrutiny if that state surveyor comes in and says, "I want to see you know patient X's file and how you made the decision to grant the medical exemption.
0: And I thought something that was very interesting that I wanted to bring up is one of the comments or the FAQs was that one of the criteria should not be. Revenue from that provider. So, let's say your top neurosurgeon requests a medical exemption, and you grant it. But one of your uh, shift workers requests one, and you don't. You know, if there, if you, just, if it's the same exemption and the same request based on the same medical basis, and you grant it to your, you know, your number one neurosurgeon who's billing and collecting as a huge revenue source for your hospital. But not one of your staff workers, you're going to have a problem there.
1: So two questions here: Have we just created a new a new special group in, under Title Seven, right? Have we just now created that? And two, do facility as as far as from all of us because all of us have a lot, a lot of collective experience in various areas in in, in, in facilities, right? So have we just created a new compliance department within compliance?
0: I you know, Chris and I went into a huge detail with this last week on the private employer that I think this is gonna be a, a full time job for someone this to track. Is not, yeah, on. this
1: is not a part time thing. And and I think anybody in compliance would agree that this is gonna this is gonna sw- this is gonna swallow someone up.
2: Well and you know, we were Rory and I were on the phone with an HR director earlier this week or last week and and you know she went from i don't know and i don't want to know about the vaccination status of my 350 employees to we told her you're not only going to have to know oh yeah you're going to have to keep track of it every week you're going to have to it's going to be a dynamic process you have to ask questions you're going to you're going to now be storing and collect collecting and storing medical records well, the interesting, for each employee the, the interesting thing now this the cms
1: exemption different than a little bit than uh, maybe I'm, I'm correct me if i'm wrong but there's no test there's it, no there's no either or so you either correct. vaccine
2: or nothing so you can't go in and say oh i have a negative pcr test this correct week, right and that's one of the the criticisms in the lawsuits filed um challenging the cms mandate is it's it's jabs or jobs correct I like that. Yeah. That's the phrase they use. Do you, and I don't know if this happened, but this is a, a
1: pivot for a second. But I heard, and I don't know if this is true, but I, saw, I heard that the FDA has sealed the records on, on the COVID um, vaccine uh, testing. In other words, all the tests they run to get full approval. I've heard those have been sealed. I, I can't believe that. I don't. if y'all y'all haven't heard anything? I'm no. unsure. I'm unsure about that. I, I, and I just throw that out there because I, I, I heard it last night, and I'm like, oh, this doesn't make any
2: sense. But I checked. A lot the, of this doesn't make sense. I checked the FDA website yesterday for to get a list of FDA approved right. COVID vaccine COVID tests, diagnostic tests. Okay. And there are 269. Oh, wow. Approved. Wow. FDA diagnostic tests. Gee, wow. You know,
0: one other thing, going back to the medical exemptions that I found was very interesting, is the the question was brought up or the phrase, if you have a medical exemption, is that a permit and exemption? And CMS says, no, it's not. So if, let's say, you're undergoing some sort of uh, therapeutic treatment, chemotherapy, something like that, that's a contraindication for this vaccine. Mm -hmm. But CMS says, if you stop that. Then you're then you're back into the as Chris said the, the jabs are jobs so where you could then be required to do it so going back to the compliance to compliance and HR that's going to be something where how do you monitor that what well, that's that's a great question it's a great question are you I like going to
1: ask your employee well how's that chemo going can you tell me when you're rolling off the uh, yeah. your next cycle
0: yeah I think it I think it's going to be a big a big monitoring thing, and it, it's going to be, uh, you know, comparing to the the employer and one, right? Um, it, it's going to be a lot, a lot to do as opposed to just getting the weekly testing and wearing a mask. This is going to be. Well,
1: imagine tracking that though, Rory. Yeah, yeah. I
0: know Absolutely. they have. So-
1: we all know they have software to track vendor contracts. We've seen that. Mm, sure. Vendor, a vendor contract type of uh, software to manage that, but how do you manage people? In Pe- terms of that, sure. People's
2: people's health status on a week to week basis, right?
0: Now, our second exemption, religious exemption. Yes, it, it's here. Let's talk a little bit about that. Sure,
2: sure. Um,
1: I, again, another uh, the second exemption is the religious exemption, and and basically, it's it's saying to follow EEOC guidance and and interestingly, I thought what was really good was it, it you can't look at it, uh, it. It's 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 a strongly held belief, right? And you have to document it and. The person receiving the exemption can't interpose their own feelings, remember? It's got to be what is the belief of the person who is submitting the exemption? It's in their eyes in terms of the strong-held belief of it. Is that correct? That's right. Is that how you all read that? Yeah, That is
0: how I read that.
2: The phrase they use is sincerely... S- sincerely a sincere strongly held religious belief right. observance or practice.
0: And so I switched over and looked at the EEOC guidance right. on religious exemption and it said that if the employer reasonably needs more information the employer and applicant should discuss and the applicant may need to explain the religious nature of the belief observance and practice. So Again, going back to managing this and going back I think medical exemptions are probably easier than religious exemptions. I mean you as as an administrator or someone in HR, Chris, I mean they might be calling in people to discuss religion. That's yeah, yeah. that's that I don't I haven't heard of that before.
2: Yeah, at least the medical exemption it's it's a lot more objective. There are clinical contraindications True. that are listed. True religious exemption is is based on the applicant's own religious belief it's very subjective and you know and chris i think you
1: mentioned earlier if you google right religious exemption letters right now i think you can find what hundreds hundreds online so i mean i mean this has already been tackled by some people but
2: yeah there's a there was a lawsuit in new york uh by the saint thomas more society and they've posted their their letters, their religious exemption letters, on the internet
0: for people to use. For people, for people to, to use. use,
1: right? But that's more of a gray area because you know then you're really getting into Title Seven issues. Yeah. Uh, if you if you cross that line, so so I guess that my my question is if if we if we look at it from the if, from the view of the employers or the facilities, right? What's the bright line here? I mean. We obviously don't want to get hit with a fine. We obviously don't want to be excluded. So, do we just have to collect documentation
2: to show this? And what about audio? Do I have to prove this to a surveyor now? Well, I mean, yes, you're going to have to. Documentation is going to be critical. And um, remember, too, these are these are accommodations. The the medical exemption is under the Americans with Disabilities Act. Right. So you handle it like a disability claim. Just because somebody may be exempt from having to take the vaccine, the employer could certainly still say, you need to be tested yep. right. weekly. You need to wear a face covering whenever you're indoors. That's a, and, lo- that's a lot of power for somebody.
0: You a, know. And those are what the recommended accommodations are. CMS didn't say what they were going to be. They basically said, like you said, the jab or job phrase, you know, get your vaccine or there's going to be issues. CMS didn't say what would be required like OSHA did. OSHA was very clear and said at least weekly, you know, they went to they went into every scenario possible on when you had to be tested. If you didn't show up for testing, what the violations would be, the masking, mm-hmm. where you had to mask, what kind of mask. CMS just said that, you, that facilities have to develop a process for implementing additional precautions, staff who are not vaccinated. So that's going to include testing, distancing, social control. The goal is to minimize that transmission, but that might turn into something where you've got I know most hospitals do this for flu and I've seen some of them do it where they they put on their badge, you know, 2021 flu. Right. Well, I think it's going to it's going to turn into okay, well, you know, so and so isn't vaccinated, so they're not going to get this special sticker and it's going to be very easy to know who those people are that that are not vaccinated and that kind of invades a little bit more into their privacy. Think of the cost
1: now that they're going to be borne by facilities for trying to implement something like this. There's no guidance, right? So it's going to be facility-specific, like Rory said. Think of the cost factor in some larger systems. I mean, I just think it's going
2: to – I just think it's going to –
1: another additional cost borne by the by the
2: facility. Well, and the, the interesting thing, too, about the CMS mandate vaccine mandate is under the under the osha mandate it it's it's a temporary measure it's supposed to end in six months the cms mandate has no end date so it my theory is it could it could continue until the public health emergency ends which could be a while
0: and at that point the hospitals could voluntarily adopt it as a as a as something
2: for them to continue on but wait is it tied to the pha it's not, but I, it, I'm just thinking logically. It right. makes sense that it would, but there's no there's no end date to the CMS mandate. Is this going to be written like our physician fee schedule or
1: our, our our you know other type of fee schedules or you know um, you know in, the inpatient perspectives payments the regs on those? So is this a is this a regulation now? So it is not tied to PHE. So once it's passed, it's a final rule, and that
2: means like you to your point. At you know, in perpetuity now, could be. I think it's an it's called an interim final Correct. rule right now, but wow. but wow. my point is there's no there's no end date like there is for the OSHA private employer. Interesting and,
0: and the enforcement on this is is pretty serious. You know, it talks about using state survey agencies. So here that would be Louisiana Department of Health or, or different or if you know if they would source that out. But they're allowed to come in and do compliance reviews for recertification and complaints you know i think complaints is going to be a big one it might be a little bit more easier to manage in a small hundred or more private workplace but i mean when you're working in a hospital you know there are some people that are that are for these and there are some people that are aren't and you know everyone can have their beliefs on that but i think there's definitely going to be cases where if a hospital doesn't follow this very strictly there's going to be complaints and there's real dollars at stake here
1: how about Actual access to care, because from my understanding is, and I don't know if y'all have heard this, but, for example, a lot of rural hospitals in our rural health and our rural hospital system, some of them have told, I've heard, the administrators have said, if I enforce this, I will have no nurses. Sure. If I enforce this, I have to close a, a med surge floor, or I can't staff my ICU um, or even my ER. So, I mean, this is not just... You know, a uh, uh, financial thing or or, or compliance sure. for these hospitals. This is: can I open my doors if I enforce this?
2: Have you all heard the same thing? Not oh. only have we heard it, we've read it in the first lawsuit that was filed by a number of rural states okay. against yep. CMS and and uh, the the government is, and that's that one of their arguments is exactly that, Conrad. That if I have to, if we have to enforce this this vaccine mandate we are going to continue to experience critical health care worker shortages to the point where we're not going to be able to provide the standard of care that the is used to
0: and i and just to piggyback on that i had a call with a practice earlier this week who discussed that uh i was explaining to them that the, these procedures and they said well you know, if this is the case, then we're just going to opt out of Medicare, and we're going to end our contract, and we won't take it anymore. Because if we, if we enforce this, we're not going to have enough people to work. Their practice was um, so anti-vax per se that it would the doors would have closed. They would have no providers. They would have had no support staff. So they were they were going back, and they were going to have meetings and discuss it, but talk about possibly opting out of of Medicare because of these requirements
1: so let me ask you this guys so so i I understand the premise of this we all do we've seen it over the over the over the last year and a half uh really year if you will from the vaccine's inception my question is is personal opinion do you think that this was something that cms did on a hastily basis simply because they heard the president speak like osha and immediately came out with this you know or you know in other words My personal opinion is I don't think this was carefully thought through in terms of the guidance and how fast it came out. Um, You know, we have a quick trigger. We get a low, you know, quick time. Not a lot of time for comments and discussion uh, for obvious reasons. I understand that. Uh, but but just curious, what do y'all think about that? Do you think this is? Uh, and if you disagree, I totally understand. I just think it's you know, did did they take into, into into account the rural the rural hospital issue? I mean, most of these people in in rural America have very strong beliefs against the vaccine. If you look at the data just from the news media, you know, you, you can kind of see where the the anti-vax is coming from, and and a lot of that's in rural you know rural midwestern America in the south. And, uh, and and so, you know, they're the ones that are going to have the issue with access to care issue. Do you think it was a rush to judgment?
2: I think CMS, it's interesting, in the rule, they spend like two lines on that issue. And, right. they, and they say, we've heard that implementa- implementing this vaccine mandate could have an adverse effect on jobs. The next sentence is, but we don't have enough evidence to support that. I mean... Um, the, what my my thing is, I think with the CMS vaccine is CMS has broad authority to establish conditions right. of participation. Mm-hmm. So, it I could easily see a court upholding the CMS vaccine under the under under the that they haven't exceeded that CMS has not exceeded their authority, as opposed to the OSHA vaccine where at least. The Fifth Circuit very feels very strongly that OSHA far exceeded right. its, its authority.
0: Right. You know, when I think about it, I think that the the administration, uh, you know, obviously CMS is run by by an appointee of the president. I think this administration really looked at probably what's our biggest employer in the United States, and, and I think healthcare is probably the biggest employer per se. And I would say when you drop down from that, the majority of of healthcare providers. Take Medicare, they're enrolled in CMS. And so I think this was the low hanging fruit to get a big jump or a big push for more Americans to get vaccinated. And I think that was the intent. I think the, the administration looked at what can we do to get more people vaccinated right. for whatever reason it may be. There's right. so many reasons. And I think they saw healthcare is the number one industry right now in the United States and ninety I don't know what the percentage is, but I know it's in the nineties, participate in Medicare. And so let's put it into that. Let's make it a condition of participation, just like you have to have X amount of fire extinguishers in this wide of doorways. And, you know, just, just we'll squeeze it into there. And that's going to give a shot in the arm. For lack of a better expression, for our vaccination numbers,
1: that was a good expression, Roy.
0: <laughs> I didn't mean I didn't mean <laughs> it to be that close. That but, lot, you
1: know, a lot of you, you jabber job. Yep. I mean, was, and there's a lot there's a lot really, of
0: issues that could go right. into this if you don't if you don't comply. Right. I mean, there's obviously the CMPs civil monetary penalties. Um, they wait, could,
1: wait, well, for our listeners, they they don't know what that means. What what is this? Can you explain to to the listeners what is a civil monetary penalty.
0: Sure. So that'd be a penalty imposed by the, the. I believe it. I think it technically falls under OIG, but it's a it's a penalty imposed for not complying with the conditions of participation,
1: and it's a fine. usually
0: in And in, in per instance. Correct, which could get very high very quickly.
1: Now, interesting. will they, will they count? each individual employee or person as the instance?
0: They, I think well they very could. well can. OSHA is, so I, I don't see why CMS wouldn't.
2: They, CMS also has a simple remedy to just deny the claim. Sure. Deny, start denying, just quit paying claims. Or they'll terminate well, in you. In addition to the CMP. Right. Sure.
0: Wow. So they'll cut off your revenue source, and, and you're kind of forced at that point to, to, Not to a Not only are you
1: forced, if you don't do it, I mean, based on your payer mix, I mean, you could be in a real trouble... If you lose, if you have denial of payment, even more, worse, you'd terminate it for the program
0: itself. Now, Chris, one thing that we, we, we talked about after the show last week, but I think it's important now because we've we've gone over the basics of the private employer and we've gone over the basics of the CMS, uh, health care workers. There's a little bit of overlap, but there there's some clear guidance on one doesn't apply to the other. And I know you wanted to talk about that, so I think that would be a good time.
2: Yeah. So the order, if you are covered – if you are covered under the CMS mandate, then that's the one that that trumps you and that's the first the first priority. So let's so a hospital that has over a hundred private employees wouldn't come wouldn't, would not have to comply with the OSHA mandate because it already has to comply with the CMS mandate. So the ranking is CMS mandate first. OSHA mandate second and then the federal employer contractor mandate third.
0: I see. That Thank you for clarifying that because that I know a lot of people um, probably were, were confused with that. So if you're if you're subject to CMS then the OSHA rule does not does not apply to you.
1: Well a lot of I'm curious from enforcement to compliance I'm just thinking in my head of all of the uh, the boxes that need to be checked now from um, um, uh, uh, a Medicare participating provider now to comply with this, and, and uh, I don't know how. I don't know how they. Uh, some people I don't know how they're going to do it. I
2: yeah. really don't well, know. They're going to have to
1: really go into high gear very quickly. That's right.
2: Very and, quickly. And I don't think I don't think that we sh- that these uh, our clients should be lulled into thinking that the courts are going to just save are going to save them because right yeah the C, right now i mean there's been two court challenges to the cms vaccine there hasn't been a temporary restraining order entered and as we sit here today on november the 18th right it's enforced and so you need to have a good written covid vaccine policy you've got a you've got to have a process for vaccinating all your staff you have a you have to have a process and a plan for handling these exemptions, and you have to have a process and a plan for tracking and documenting the vaccination status of all your employees. Mm-hmm. So yeah. to your point, Conrad, is that it is a staggering amount of work. In a short
1: done. period of time. Yes. And you know, especially, you know, Chris, because you work for a large system. So, I mean, you you to make that kind of a change system-wide in this time frame, it, it, it's like – you know,
2: trying to you know, climb on Everest. I would say, well, the big the big health systems will be able to do it. I think. Well, because they have the personnel got, to do it. It's right. the it's the physician owned physician physician owned right. facilities. It's the smaller facilities that I think this is really going to
0: and and I think impact what, as well. What what's confusing and what people should continue to monitor, like you mentioned, Chris, if CMS applies to you, you don't need to comply with the other mandates, but if the CMS healthcare does not apply to you but you have more than 100 then osha applies to you so what if we get to the situation where and and i don't expect this to happen but i guess it could where uh, the cms one is stayed but then the private employer one is kicked back in place you might be kicked back over to that one so there's there's more than one bite at the apple for the government to enforce these regulations and Mm -hmm. so what I'm telling people, and, and, you know, some of them are more hesitant now that the, the, that it's been stayed more permanently, um, you know, we're still advising people to, to get, pre- especially our healthcare clients, to get prepared for this one way or another, because there's, the government has now, they, they kind of get two bites at the apple on this. And so I think it's important for people to continue to put into a plan, you know, they might not want to because it, it, they know that this litigation is going to go on and they're hopeful that... This doesn't go into effect, but I mean, Connor, what are you telling people if they're they're kind of hesitant to put in all these procedures in place because they don't know what uh, it, it might be worthless it, from a if, if they do it and then it, it, it goes away?
1: I think I think as a, you got to prepare for what's right now, and if you're going to be subject to it right now, then you need to prepare for it right now. Otherwise, you're opening yourself up to exposure for the penalties, the fines, and removal yeah and removal from the program and right? we
0: don't know if the stay is overturned or if the Supreme Court you know holds against it with the flip of a switch everything could go back into full enforcement immediately. I just have
1: one question for both of you guys just one actually really one word you ready? Boosters. I mean, no one's talked about that that hasn't been mentioned in OSHA that hasn't been mentioned in CMS. so what's good because I just saw the other day that LDh here, is recommending boosters and you know it's coming you know it's coming
2: so where does that fit in so right now there's no requirement under any of the mandates to have a booster shot right um, but as a, as we sit here today but it could be changed to where could be a big button that sure
0: right it could they could change the definition for fully vaccinated to mean your first two loss
1: aus- now i know australia did this
0: yes your first two Plus a booster uh, within six months of your second, or if it's Johnson Johnson of your first. And just
1: to be fair, Australia did this. What they did, what they said was, what that that you would not be considered fully vaccinated unless you had your booster. So when are we going to cross that bridge? Stay tuned. Stay yep. tuned. I
0: mean, yep. this
1: this is a moving target, it guys. It really is.
0: So to kind of summarize, you know, we've gone over now private employers. We've now gone over CMS with healthcare. And next week, we'll wrap up this three-part series, and that's going to be with um, federal contractors and employees, which, you know, a little bit smaller of a bucket. We've kind of approached them in, in the in terms of who does this affect the most, but, right. you know, that one's going to affect people, and that one's got some special, special rules and regulations as well.
1: Yeah, I mean, I, again, back to when when, when ACA came in effect. Remember, we said that the plans. Remember that when when President Obama says, "Oh, you'll be able to keep your plan," right? We call them the grandfather plans, right? But really, when this whole thing was set up, it was set to eliminate all those, and they have pretty much. So this, to my mind, it's the same similar situation. All of these regulatory schemes from OSHA, CMS. Um, you know, from the government are going to eventually – it puts you in a, in a situation where everyone's going to have to get it. I mean, that's my personal opinion.
0: I think we're, we're heading that way. Yeah. I agree.
1: Yeah. Good show, guys. Yep, we're going to do that now. So, look, everybody, we're going to wrap up the show. This was great part two of our series on the uh, COVID mandates, and this one was the uh, CMS uh, conditions of participation mandate. Uh, Please leave your comments in the uh, comments section on Anchor and let us know what you think about uh, the show today and any suggested topics. We really appreciate that. But uh, until next time for part three, uh, everyone have a great holiday and enjoy the week. Y'all take care.
0: Thank you for listening to Health Law Talk presented by Shahardi Sherman-Williams. For more information or to contact us, please visit our website linked in the description below. Also, please be sure to subscribe to our podcast and follow us on Facebook, Twitter, LinkedIn, and YouTube linked in the description below. Thank you for listening.